Lord God, we come to you this morning with humble hearts, knowing that you are indeed a holy God. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness that we have so often diminished you in our eyes. Lord, we have not treated you with the respect that you deserve. And Lord, we bow before you and we confess that you are a holy God. And we delight in that fact that you are a holy God. There is no sin, there is no darkness, there is no deceit in you, but you are worthy of our praises. And Lord, we know we will sing this song in eternity, praising you, bowing before you, crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and all your works shall praise you. And Lord, today we gladly come before you and praise you and lift you up. We thank you for the mighty works you've done in our lives. If we're Christians here today, Lord, we cannot thank you enough for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has bought us with his own blood, that we might approach the throne of God with freedom and confidence. We thank you that we have a great priest who is interceding for us. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us through your word. We pray that you will convict us. We pray that you will challenge us. We pray, Lord, that you will encourage us. And Lord, we pray that we will not be broken by your word, but we may act upon it and order our lives according to your word. And help me, Lord, this morning with my weak and faltering words to speak your truth. May there be less of me and more of you, less of my words and more of your word. Lord, we come to you now. We ask that you will open our eyes so that we might see wondrous things in your law. Lord, open our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry, can I have a Bible? So I've got my Bible down here. That's a bad start, isn't it? What did I do with it? Um, oh, it's up there. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. Um, I don't often get a chance to, to speak. When I do, it's always special, and it's good to see you all um, on this hot day. Just to say, um, Anya is not here this morning because she's um, not feeling very well. Uh, I woke up at the crack of dawn this morning to hear my two-year-old daughter coughing like an old smoker. She was like, <coughs> coughing like that, and it woke me up, and I realized that she's not very well. So the joys of having children, so that's why Anya's not here. It's not because... She doesn't want to face the embarrassment of hearing me speak. Actually, I, I miss Anya when she's not here. She's my best critic, and I, I always miss her feedback. So I'm, hope, I'm sure some of you will give me feedback accordingly. So um, we, this morning, I want to ask you the question, um, how important is it that we as Christians, if we are Christians, commit to the local body of Christ, to a local church? How important is it that we align ourselves with a local group of Christians and say, these are my people, this is my church, the local church, and I'm going to commit to this church? And we're going to be looking at this, this uh, whole chapter in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking particularly at one verse from that, which is verse 25. Um, it says here, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Unfortunately, we cannot unpack this whole section this morning, but we need to look at it in context to understand what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Now, before I begin, let me say this to you. This is not intended to be a recruitment drive for Calvary Church. Now, obviously, as a church, we'd love to see more people coming in, people getting saved, people becoming converted, coming to know the Lord Jesus. That's our heart's desire. We'd love to see people becoming more committed to the life of the church. But I'm not here primarily this morning 
Someone shut the door, please. All right, it's a bit, a bit noisier. I'm easily distracted. If it gets too hot, we'll um, open it again. So I'm not, I'm not just trying to drum up support for Calvary Church. I don't care which church people go to. As long as it's a good Bible-believing church which preaches Christ crucified, I don't really mind where you go. But I do think it's important to be committed to a church, and I'm going to make the case this morning that it is important. Secondly, my, my aim this morning is not to, uh, to make people feel condemned or feel like you're a bad Christian. You know, all of us struggle at times. My, my desire this morning is to encourage you and build you up. So my advice to you this morning is, is you know, if, if, if something I've said resonates with you or something the word of God says resonates, if the cap fits, wear it. If it doesn't apply to you, be encouraged, but also be vigilant, knowing that you might be secure today, but if you're not careful, you could let your guard slip, and tomorrow you could, be, you could find yourself in that same position as other people. So I'm not here this morning to berate people or make people feel bad. There's always hope and redemption. If we've made a mistake, if we need to change, God will show that to us. Second, or the third thing is I'm not trying to do this with individual people in mind. I, far be it from me to be so ungodly, to stand up here with ideas about certain people in my mind. Once again, if the cap fits, wear it. If it doesn't, praise God, be vigilant. Number four, I'm not trying to coerce people to legalistically attend church. You know, you could come to every single meeting of a church, every service on a Sunday. You could come to the midweek prayer meeting and you could miss the point entirely of what church is about. It's not about just ticking off legalistically. We've been to church, we've done our duty, we can go off and enjoy ourselves. It's not about that at all. Church is far more than just meetings. It's more than just services. Many people think of church as just being Sunday services. Church is far more than that. Church is a community of born-again believers who meet together to study God's word, to pray together, and so on and so on. So the church is not just about meetings, but, but you try having a community when you don't meet together. It's impossible, isn't it? You have to meet together to have any sense of community. And fifthly, I'm not suggesting that we spend every spare moment of our lives involved in church activities. My granddad, who I love very much, was an elder of a church. He said in, year, in later years, in recent years, he said that he regretted spending so much time involved in church activities when his children were younger. Not that he didn't see the importance of church, but he, he thinks that he spent too much time involved in doing stuff in the church. Now, my mother says that she didn't mind that. She actually was very glad to see that her dad took church so seriously. But I have heard testimonies of pastors and men of God who have spent so much time devoted to the business of running a church, and it, and it is a busy concern, as, as Ray and Chris will tell you and various other people, that they've actually neglected their families. And this is a terrible mistake to make. Each of us needs to find the balance in our lives. We need to devote time to our work, to our jobs, to our families, to meeting with non-Christians, and so on and so on. So I'm not saying that we should spend every moment down at the church or involved in church activities. But I will say this. Meeting together as Christians, being aligned to a local church, sharing with God's people, sharing our lives together, these things are of vital importance. If we do not do these things, we will suffer, and other Christians will suffer as a result of our negligence and apathy. One reason why we struggle is because we sometimes lack understanding of what God's purposes for the church are. I'm talking about the church universal primarily. You know what the universal church is? 
A church universal is every single born-again Christian, Christian that really knows the Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about nominal Christians, people that really know the Lord Jesus, who are born again by his spirit. We make up one great worldwide church. That is the church of Jesus Christ. But that church has a local expression. We, we can't all meet together with every single believer in the whole world. We can't even meet with every single believer in Brighton. But we can meet locally to align ourselves and be committed to a local community of believers. And today I'm going to try in a very limited and short way to make a case for that and to show you how important that really is. But think about this. God ordained it that we would approach him, not just individually, but as a church. God could have ordained it that each of us just had a relationship with him and had no subsequent relationship with other Christians. But God has not made it like that. Yes, it's true that each of us must approach God individually. I'm not responsible for how Mark lives his, his spiritual life before God. Mark's not responsible for how I live before God. And so on and so on. But having said that, we are intimately bound up together as Christians. None of us is an island. That, you know, that old cliche, it's not found in the Bible. But it's true, we're not an island. As Christians, we corporately make up a body of Christ. And we are codependent upon one another. But we struggle because we fail to understand what God's purposes for the church are. What is the church about? Is it just a social club where we come on Sundays to meet our friends? Hopefully we will enjoy meeting with people and talking to people. Is it just an activity, a religious rite that we tick off our list? Or is it something that we see as far more important than that? Is it something that our whole lives are based around, the people of God and our part with them? Now... Before we get into the word of God, let me ask a few questions. Why do we sometimes, why do people sometimes struggle with church, with being part of a church? I think sometimes it's because we live in a very individualistic age, don't we? The world we live in today is not predisposed to being part of communities. Although people talk about community, actually people are very individualistic as a rule. We don't like other people telling us what to do and how to do it. We'd far rather do things our way in a way that suits us. People today are so obsessed with their rights, their, their, you know, what makes me feel good, my personal fulfillment, my rights, who are you to tell me how to live my life? And we find this is very common when we go out on the streets doing evangelism, people have this attitude, who are you to tell me how to live my life? You know, when I was younger, I liked a certain band, and this band had an album which came out in the 90s. The album's title was, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. And this is symptomatic of the society we live in today. I have my truth, my understanding of how the world works. You have yours, which is equally valid. But don't tell me that my truth is not valid, because I hold on to my truth as a precious thing, and you can't take that from me. We live in a very individualistic society. People, you don't even have to go to church now to meet with Christians. You can sit at home and watch a sermon on the internet or watch a service. There are even internet churches. I mean, Anya, Anya researched this once as part of a project. There are churches, so-called churches, where people just get together on the internet and you have a little cartoon, animated you know, pastor preaching an animated sermon. And you, you could even have animated communion. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It, it suits some people, though, because it, because it actually avoids the, the messy necessity of having to meet people in real life and engage with people. So I, I don't, you know, don't want to labor the point, but we live in this individualistic age and this maverick Christianity can creep into the church if we're not careful. Lone wolf Christianity. I don't need other people to tell me what to do. I'm quite happy with my relationship with God. Completely misunderstanding the nature of the church, the purpose of the church, and our place in the church. 
And I, I've met Christians like that. I've met Christians before who say, I don't need to commit to a particular church. I can go to a different church every week. You know, next week I'll go to CCK. Next week I'll go to maybe Ebenezer. John's over there. Next week I'll go to St. Peter's. Next week I'll go to Calvary. Just drifting around between churches. Never been committed to one church. Never putting down your roots in one place and saying, I'm going to commit myself to being here. Now, you know, that's, that's their decision, but that's not what church is about. That's not how it should be. We don't want commitment. We feel restricted by commitment, but we shouldn't do. Commitment and duty are good things which we need to reclaim as Christians. We may not always feel like coming to church. Let me be honest, there are days, many days, when I don't feel like coming to church at all. Um, I just, just can't be bothered. I prefer to go to the beach. I prefer to stay in bed with, with my wife and child. You know, just, but you know what? I know I need to be in church. I need to be with the people of God. And even if, even if I don't feel like it, it's something I have to do and have to force myself to do. Maybe that's too strong a word to use, to force myself. I, I generally want to be in church, but sometimes you just don't feel like it. But I know I need this, and I know other people need this. Now, having said that, there are genuine reasons. There may be genuine reasons why we can't commit to being in church every single week or being involved in the church as much as we would like to. And that's why I don't want to point the finger at people. For a start, it would be ungodly. But secondly, there are genuine reasons why people can't always be in church every week. I mean, many of us work, many people work in stressful jobs, work long hours, very tired during the week, tired on Sundays. We cannot always commit as much as we would like to. Some of us have family concerns, we have pressures, Sometimes we have to go away on business. We cannot always be here as much as we would like to. Having said that, I think we always find, find time for things that we find beneficial and important. I, mean, I, I talk to students from time to time who tell me how busy they are, too busy to come to church, too busy to be involved. Well, that may be the case, but if, if you would look at their lives, probably they find times for the things they, they, find, they think are important. You know. If you're not careful, you can always gradually slip away from those things which you think are less important or less enjoyable and devote your time to things which you find more enjoyable. If we're not careful, friends, wrong priorities can come into our lives. I look at myself, I see this all the time. We have so many demands on our time, so many pressures. And if we're not careful, we can let these wrong priorities become too important to us. Sometimes it's a matter of, of this, that we fail to organise our lives better. We're so hectic, we're so confused, chasing the wind. All this kind of vanity of the modern world. And Brighton is like Vanity Fair. Have you read Pilgrim's Progress? This kind of place where all these kind of wares are on offer, all these kind of joys of the world and all these kind of pleasures. We live in a marketplace which offers us constantly all kinds of trinkets, all kinds of entertainments. If we're not careful, we can get led astray by these things. And we forget that which is truly important. Also, I think sometimes we have a consumer mentality when it comes to church. Do you know what I mean by that? We, we come to church expecting to receive and unwilling to give. We come to church, you know, we, we base our decision to join a church based on what that church can do for me. I, I like the music. I like the choir. I like the, the punk rock band that plays. I like, you know, I might potentially find a spouse in this church. There's lots of you know, young ladies. I mean... We've all been there. I was there once as well. Um, there, there are many reasons why we, we, we like the pastor, we like the start of the building. There are many unworthy reasons why we might choose a particular church. How often do we ask the question, where does God want me to be? Where can I serve God best? Where can I grow most sufficiently as a Christian? And where can I help other people to grow? 
But so often we drift around like a hummingbird, going from, from flower to flower, not stopping off in one place, not putting down our roots anywhere. And it should not be like this. Sometimes it might be a matter of personality. Sometimes we might be an arrogant person or an aloof person who looks down on other Christians with a kind of perfectionism. And I've known Christians like this, and I've seen this creeping into my heart as well. Look at other Christians, you think, why do I need to be like with these people, with all their kind of imperfections and idiosyncrasies? Why do I need to be with them? I'm quite happy being alone with my Christianity, my walk with God. And we can get arrogant. We can be aloof. And some people are just shy. Some people find it genuinely hard to interact with other people. You know, when I was a little boy, I was the shyest person you could possibly meet. I wouldn't look anybody else in the eye. I mean, I'm not Mr. Super Confident now, but I'm more confident. God's worked in me. I found it difficult over the years. But God has worked in me and enabled me to overcome that shyness because it was hindering my relationship with people. And God can work in us, even if we don't find it easy to interact with people. God can help us in that. Sometimes we, we, we withdraw from churches because our hearts are simply not there. Sometimes it's because we have some kind of sin in our lives which we cherish, some darling sin, some pet sin that we're indulging. And sometimes because of that, we can, we can withdraw from the people of God because we don't want people to know what's really going on in our lives. Friends, it's the most natural thing in the world. When we find ourselves falling into sin or being led astray by temptation, the most natural thing is to withdraw from those people who know us best, who would challenge us. And if, if we are true brothers and sisters in Christ, we would challenge one another. And I, I've seen Christians drifting away from churches because I know in their lives things are not right with them and God, between them and God. And because of that, they drift away and withdraw from the people, from the fellowship. Sometimes we just get jaded, don't we? We just get, we just get bored. We get restless. We're not used to commitment. We're just tired of going to church every week, seeing the same people, it can become predictable and tedious if we're not careful. And for all these reasons, we might find ourselves drifting away from church. But let me say this. The Bible does not envisage the church, church meetings, as somewhere where we come under sufferance. Because, you know, we don't really want to be there, but we feel we have to be there, so we come. Church meetings, church gatherings are not supposed to be undertaken out of a sense of grim duty or religious obligation to keep God happy. That's what some people do. They don't really want to be in church. They'll go to church, to a church service, and they'll tick off on the list, I've been to church, God must be happy with me, then they go off and enjoy their lives and live just like the rest of the world. That's not how the Bible envisages church. Church is something that we should truly want to be part of as Christians. Church is something that we should view as important to our well-being and to the well-being of other people, other Christians. And as I said earlier, sometimes we don't always feel like we, need, we, we want to be in church emotionally, but we know we need to be there both for our own sake and for the sake of other people. But friends, I want to put this to you this morning. Whatever, excuse, whatever excuses we might make for not being in church, not being a regular attender, not being someone who's committed to a local church, we do not have excuses as valid as those who are persecuted for their faith in Christ. Let me explain. Yesterday I was at a conference. Chris was there. John was there. We, we heard an Iranian pastor who lives in this country now talking about the experiences of persecuted Christians in Iran. Now in Iran, as you probably know, there's terrible persecution of Christians. It's an, it's an Islamic country and it's very, very strict. There's a strict regime which prevents people from serving God as they ought to. 
And he was telling us about underground churches, churches which meet in people's homes. And he was telling us about how Christians will park their car two miles away from this church, this, this house where the church is meeting. And they will walk all around the streets, through the back streets, stopping at different shops to try to throw people off the scent, anyone who might be following them. Because it's quite feasible that somebody could see them going there and arrest them and, and make trouble for their family. So they'll go through this whole elaborate kind of labyrinth of streets to try and avoid people seeing where they're going. Once they've got to church, they'll be there for hours and hours worshipping God with their brothers and sisters. And then when, when the time of meeting has come to an end, they're not in a hurry to go. Because they don't want, any, want anybody to know there's a whole, a whole load of Christians meeting there, they'll leave in dribs and drabs. They won't all leave at once like we might. You know, one will go, and half, half an hour later somebody else will go, and then somebody else and somebody else. And it takes five hours to empty that church. Can you imagine the trouble that Christians go to to be amongst the people of God? Can you imagine it, you know, how difficult it is with children, with jobs to be there? And yet these people are there. They make an effort to be there despite the persecution because they're thirsty for the things of God. Some of them come with beatings, mutilated and beaten because of their faith on crutches, walking miles and miles to be in church. Friends, we have no excuse, do we? Yes, we have busy lives, but we have no persecution yet. Although, you know, I, I feel that maybe just around, around, the, around the corner in our country. But we have ease. We can come to church. Nobody will stop us. Because of that, we, we often become ineffectual and lazy and complacent, apathetic. We don't see the importance of meeting with the people of God. Now, in order to understand the importance of a local church, we need to understand some of the functions of a local church. I'm not going to touch on all, all of these today. But let's quickly read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Page 1094 in my Bible. This is talking about the early church in Jerusalem. We won't labor this, but we will just look quickly at some of the things which featured in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So friends, we see in the early church, when the church was first founded, the, the, the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus met together, not once a week, not twice a week, but every day. They met in the temple courts, they met in their homes. They received Bible teaching. Friends, one of, the, one of the important reasons why we must be in church is to receive Bible teaching, to grow in our faith, faith, to encourage each other, to grow in the word of God, to grow in knowledge. If you're a true Christian here, you won't be content with where you are today. You'll want to strive for more and more of the things of God. If you're a true Christian here today, you won't be content with your knowledge of the Bible as it is. You'll want to know God more and more through his word. And to do that, we don't just need to have a personal Bible devotional life at home, though of course we do. But we need to be under the teaching of the word of God in a church. 
Secondly, we see these, these apostles, these, these disciples, these followers of Jesus were praying. They were fervent and devoted to prayer. Once again, each of us should have a personal devotional prayer life at home. But friends, let me say this. There is a very important place for corporate prayer in a church as well. And I encourage you to come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening. Come to prayer before the service. Pray for the things of God. Pray for the lost. Pray for the activities. There are brothers and sisters who are, who are in desperate need at the moment. Pray for them. Pray for the persecuted. Let's meet together and let's make prayer a hallmark of our lives. Corporate praise and worship. It's good to come together and declare solid truth about God together. In, you know, when we're singing, when we're reading out psalms together, declaring our faith in him, declaring his attributes, declaring who God is. We need that. We need to be together. We need to praise him and worship him as we ought. The church has a role witnessing to the lost. In Acts 2, we see that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved, verse 47. That's not the case in this church at the moment. We don't see every day the Lord adding to our number. But my heart's desire is, and I'm sure it's your heart's desire, is to see a great flood of people from this city coming to know the Lord Jesus as their saviour. And the local church has a, a vital role to play in that. If we get cold towards the lost, if we get complacent about the fact that men and women, boys and girls, are lost, fearfully lost, and facing a lost eternity, then I have to, we have to question where our, our hearts lie with God. Do we fully understand the gospel if we can sit back idly while men and women head for this lost eternity? And friends, the local church has a vital role to play in being a witness to our communities. But also, the local church has a role of friendship and fellowship. We see that here, don't we? All the believers were together and had everything in common. They helped each other. They met their needs, their physical needs. Fellowship is more than just friendship, isn't it? You can go to any club. You can go to the local bowls club or the local, I don't know, some, some music club, whatever club it might be, or some kind of society of which there are many in Brighton. And you can have a kind of unity with people there. But the unity that the local church envisages, which God envisages for the local church, is far deeper and transcends just you know, chit-chat after the service and a cup of tea and a biscuit. The fellowship which God envisages is a deep unity, a heart unity based on common faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we cannot really have unity with, with people who call themselves Christians but actually distort the word of God and deceive people because that unity comes in the truth. We cannot have unity with people that you know, despise the truth or turn away from the truth. The church is a place of friendship, Solidarity, of meeting together to help each other and support each other in this difficult life. And as I said, the church is a place of practical care and concern. It should be a place when, when, when you're struggling with something, you should be able to come and receive that practical care. You see, we see here the, the disciples of Jesus were selling their goods and giving the money to those that had needs. It should be a place where people come in and say, wow, these Christians really care for each other, they love each other practically. But this morning, I mean, time's getting on already, but we're going to look at encouragement. Local church is, is for all these reasons, but the local church is also for encouragement. Has it crossed your mind that the church should be a place of encouragement for Christians? Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is a fascinating book. I encourage you to get into Hebrews. We'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10 now. Like all New Testament books, Hebrews was written to encourage and exhort God's people 
at a time of persecution. At that time, there was a terrible persecution of the, of the people of God. In the Roman Empire, Christians were being killed, martyred, persecuted, beaten, much like in Iran today and many other countries. And the writer of Hebrews writes to these people to encourage them not to give up on their faith in times of severe persecution. But also there was an extra dimension which the writer of Hebrews brings in. The Hebrew Christians were Christians from a Jewish background. They were ethnically and culturally Jewish, but they had become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a great confusion at the time about the nature of the Christian gospel and about the Jewish practices that they had previously followed. And there was kind of dispute going on amongst the, the Jewish Christians. To what extent do we need to follow the Jewish practices of our forefathers as Christians? There were, there were debates about circumcision, debates about Jewish rituals. Do we need to force other Christians to, to engage in these rituals as well in order to fulfill the requirements of God? And um, some of these Jewish Christians were tempted to go back to their old ways and start relying upon a legalistic system of works and the law, which had been superseded and fulfilled by Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is at great pains to say, no, Christ has been sacrificed for our sins. We are saved by grace, by faith in Christ alone. We're not saved by works. Yes, there was in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there was a system that God put in place, of, of, not of works, but of, you know, of, of rituals and sacrifice. But Christ has been that sacrifice. He's been sacrificed once and for all for sins. And now there is no condemnation. And now we can approach him by faith. And these rituals and these legalistic things that we used to do are no longer relevant for Christians. And he's exhorting them and calling them, don't go back to how you used to be. Don't go back to a kind of mixture of Christianity, which is kind of, we, we believe in the grace of Christ. We're saved by grace, but actually we're going back to kind of a mixture much as the Catholic Church does today, for example. The Catholic Church mixes all kinds of you know, works and faith together. And actually, if you're trying to rely on your works to save you, or relying on rituals and means of grace, rather than just believing in Christ and putting your faith in his finished work, you're actually in danger of falling away from the gospel. Because the gospel is this, that Christ died for sins and we're saved by grace and faith alone in Christ, not by any other kinds of works which we can add to that. So that's why the writer of Hebrews is writing this, to encourage Christians not to go back into the ways of the world, not to be afraid of persecution, and not to fall back into this kind of legalism. There's a lot of emphasis in Hebrews about perseverance, persevering in the truth. Don't we need to hear that message today as Christians, to persevere in the truth in an age which has all kinds of heresies and false teaching? And Hebrews contains many stark warnings as well as encouragements. Friends, I want to say this to you this morning, that encouragement and warning go hand in hand. Everywhere you look in the Bible, in the, in the teachings of Jesus, in the teachings of Paul, there are two things, encouragement and warning. Do this, persevere in this, don't do this, otherwise this will happen. There's a sense that we must fix our eyes on the goal and not to turn away from it. It's so easy to be led astray. Now, if we look at Hebrews 10... The verses we read this morning, 19 to verse 39. We see a call to perseverance and a warning about backsliding and apostasy. Now, just to explain to those who don't know what apostasy is or backsliding. Apostasy means 
when somebody who's a professing Christian turns away from the faith that they once professed, both in their words and in their actions. I don't know about you, but I know many, many professing Christians, not in this church, who once seemed very zealous and strong for the things of God, but who have fallen into apostasy, who have backslidden, who have turned their backs on the things of God. And this passage warns us and warns Christians not to fall into this trap. In this section, we see several exhortations. Now, exhortations are not the same as suggestions. A suggestion is, you know, it's a nice idea. I, I suggest that you go to church. It's a good idea that you go to church more often. An exhortation is far stronger than that. But an exhortation is not a command. You know, I, I, I'm not in a position to command anybody to do anything. But if I could command somebody, you must be in church on Sunday, you must be there, then I would be in danger of becoming a cult leader or a kind of sect leader. We're not in a position to command other Christians to do things. The only authority we have is the word of God. And we can humbly submit the word of God to people and say, listen, brother or sister, this is what the word of God says. This is what God says in his word. I exhort you, I encourage you, I almost plead with you to listen to this and heed these warnings and to do what it says because it will be good for you if you do. And I do this because I care about you. I do this because I care for your spiritual well-being. And we see in this, in this section several exhortations. First of all, we have this great truth, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened, up for us, sorry, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, then, then it goes on. In the light of this great truth that we've just, we've just expressed, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and so on and so on. Let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. Exhortations from the writer to the Christians to do these things for their own good. I want to focus on verse 25 today. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a very strong exhortation from the writer to not give up meeting together, not give up being part of a local church fellowship. It doesn't say why people had left that fellowship. If you look, he says there, you know, some, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some of the Christians that had previously been zealous for the things of God had decided to withdraw from the fellowship of the people of God. We don't know exactly why that was. I think in context, we could probably say it's to do with persecution. I mean, if you look at the last part of this chapter, up to verse 39, it talks about the persecution and how, how in early days, earlier days they had stood firm in the face of persecution and not turned their backs on the things of God. Friends, it's very sad, isn't it, when Christians, people we know, turn their backs on the things of God and walk away and desert the church. But history shows us that even, even in times of persecution, Christians do tend to make an effort to be with the people of God. In some ways, in times of persecution, Christians are galvanized, they're actually even more keen to meet with the people of God. So perhaps in this case, it wasn't to do with persecution. Perhaps like so many of us, their hearts were growing cold to the things of God. Perhaps they'd become disinterested in the things of God. Perhaps they'd become jaded by church, they didn't see the importance of it anymore. Whatever the reason was, the writer exhorts those who are still there who are still committed to the church, don't give up as these people do. There's a warning to us here. The whole context of this passage, this, this chapter, is about apostasy and falling away. 
And there's an implication here that if we start falling away from the local church, we ourselves are in danger of apostasy, of falling away from God. If we become careless and complacent about meeting with God's people on a regular basis, if we are not rooted in a local church community, then we're in danger of falling away. It's not so much that we're in danger of falling away, we're not in danger of apostasy. In fact, it's a sign that already apostasy has already taken root in our lives. And this is a serious matter. So I'm not saying, obviously, if we miss church one week for, what, for a good reason, or a few weeks for a good reason, that we're in danger of apostasy. But if we have no desire to be with the people of God, if we, we couldn't care less about meeting with the people of God, if we don't wish to commit to being part of a local church and saying, this is my church, these are my people, I think we have to examine our hearts before God and say, well, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have a desire to be with God's people? Why am I content to be a lone wolf Christian, a maverick Christian, an individualistic Christian? Because God did not intend the church to be like that. And we need to, we need to ask God, maybe the process of apostasy has already begun in my heart, that I've already lost that zeal, that concern for the people of God. I'm also not saying if we struggle with church because of shyness or because of our own personal issues or because of depression, we're in danger of apostasy. But wouldn't it be good if when we struggle, we say, well, I'm not going to withdraw from the people of God. I might be struggling with sin and temptation. Instead of withdrawing myself away and hiding from it, I need to be with the people of God, my brothers and sisters. I need to go to them and say, listen, brother or sister, I'm struggling with this. Will you pray for me? Will you support me? Will you help me? Be honest. I don't really want to be in church. I'm struggling with church at the moment. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Don't just go away. Don't just give up meeting together. You'll be amazed how quickly the habit sets in. Miss a couple of weeks here and there. Before, before you know it, you'll never be going to church. You'll hardly ever be coming there once in a blue moon. That's not God's plan for you. That's not God's plan for us. God wants us to be together, to encourage one another. Maybe we haven't grasped the importance of local church yet. Maybe our hearts are cold towards God and his people. Maybe we're living double lives. You know, we, we, we go to church, we go through the motions, we live just like the rest of the world. Half-hearted Christianity, hobby Christianity. Turn with me quickly to, to 1 John 3 verse 18. Just one verse. It's page 1227. 1 John chapter 3 verse 17. Oh, sorry, verse 18. And John writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now here's a soundbite for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Love in action means social interaction. You cannot say that you love your brother and sister if you avoid your brother and sister. You avoid their presence. You shy away from them. You don't wish to engage with them in any way. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's very easy to say that we love one another, isn't it? If we don't actually have the messy business of meeting with other people, engaging with them and all their faults and failures, idiosyncrasies, all their problems, all their challenges. Because, to be honest, there are people in the church that we don't necessarily get on with. There are people that we find difficult. But the good thing about being in a local church is that we can't run away from those people. We can't just run away when we find the going gets tough. We have to be with those people. We have to encourage them. Back to Hebrews 10. How do we do this? How do we encourage one another? How do we exhort one another? 
both by our actions and by our words. Look at verse 25 again. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, when we encourage one another, there need to be two facets to it. One is our words, and the other is our actions. I can say to a brother in Christ, friend, brother, I need you, you need to be strong in the gospel. You need to, to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. But if I myself are not doing that, and they don't see me doing that, it undermines what I'm saying. I can say to a young man, be sexually pure. I can say to a married man, love your wife. If I'm not doing those things myself, and that young man or that married man is not seeing me doing those things, seeing me exhibit those things, it undermines what I'm saying. Our very lives are a testimony to the truth of what we believe. And if we are inconsistent, if we say all the right words, but we don't actually engage with people, people will not see the reality of that in our lives. There's no point in encouraging other people, exhorting other people if we don't live it out. Let me put this to you this morning. If we don't make an effort to meet with other Christians on a regular basis, we are not only depriving them, depriving ourselves of an opportunity to encourage them, but our very absence is a discouragement to them. If you choose willingly not to come to church, not to be part of church, not to be part of you know, the prayer meeting, you're actually discouraging other people because you're saying, in effect, possibly, that I don't think this is very important. I don't need to be in church every week. I can just go to the beach or go, you know, go out and miss church for any and every reason. That's not how it should be, is it? The absence from, from the things of God, the lack of involvement, is a discouragement to other people. Our children observe us. If it's just a bunch of words we've learned to repeat, our children notice that. I am praying sincerely that when my daughter grows up, she sees in me a man of God. She won't see a perfect man. But I don't want her to think my dad is a hypocrite because he says all the right words, but actually he's not living it out. I don't want her to look at me and say, well, my dad's not actually very concerned about the things of God. He might say he is, but in reality he's not. He's not concerned about church. He doesn't see commitment to church as being important. I want her to look at me and say, well, my dad, for all his faults and failures, actually does love God. I can see that in him. And he, he views church as very important, the local church. Now, time's getting on, but let's look at this together just quickly. Why should we encourage each other as we see the day approaching? For a start, we need to encourage each other because Christ is coming back. Verse 37, for just a little while, in a very little while, he is coming back. He, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Friends, one of my biggest concerns in the church is that we would have an awareness of the imminency of Christ's return. Very, very soon, Christ will come back. We don't know exactly when this will be, but we need to be prepared and ready for him on that day. I'm, I'm tired of this complacency in my own life, thinking that Christ will not come back. Saying, oh yeah, for, for thousands of years, people have been waiting for him, he still hasn't come back. Friends, the time is close. And we, we can be aware that that day is approaching. Not to say, you know, on, on, the, on the 17th of October, on my birthday this year, Christ will come back. I've seen the signs in the sky. We're not talking about that. But people do that, though. I'm talking about being aware of the signs of the times, being alert, being vigilant, and being ready to meet Christ and be about his business when he returns, not to be lazy and complacent, not to give up, not to fall back into our old ways. And friends, we need to encourage one another. As we see the day approaching of Christ in a hostile and difficult world, which has turned its back on God, we need to encourage each other all the more to meet together, to be together as the people of God, and not to drift away into the many temptations that this world offers. 
Look at verse 24 in chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know that word spur on, it's a very strong word. I had in my mind, on Friday I went to the Olivet School, I did a devotion, I talked about this. I had in mind a football match. Now, as you know, Mark and I are football fans. We both support the same team, um, Norwich City, very successful team. If we were at a football match together, Mark and I would be cheering for Norwich. We would be cheering on the team to score a goal, score many goals. The words used here are not the same as that. Spur on is a very strong word. It comes from the same word in Greek, paroxysm, which we get the English word paroxysm or convulsion from. You know what paroxysm is when someone's convulsing. They can't control the involuntary spasms of their muscles. That's the word that's used here. It uses two words in English to spur on. In Greek, it's one word, which is based on this word paroxysm. To violently stir up people to do the works of God. To compel people, to provoke people, one another as Christians. Exhort them, encourage them, plead with them to be zealous, to be faithful. Not to turn away from the truth, not to apostatize. That's what we're called to do here. Let us consider, let's think about how we can provoke each other, inspire each other to go on towards love and good deeds. In other words, the normal Christian life, faithfulness, love, living out Christ's love in a world that's turned its back on him, in a world that does not understand for a minute what love is. We need to be a living example of that as the church, the local church, an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, living out that the principles of the kingdom of God in a very, very dark society in which we, sh- we shine like stars in the universe. But how do we do this if we hardly spend time together? We hardly know each other. If our kind of interaction is limited to just, just a cup of tea after the service on a Sunday, a bit of small talk, then we go home, live our separate lives. That's not a church. That's just a kind of weak, pale, insipid social club. You're better off just to go and join some other kind of club if that's what you want church to be. It's a pale shadow, an imitation of what it should be. Friends, let me encourage you today. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let's meet together. Let's encourage each other time and time again not to turn away from this truth, but to hold on to it because the gospel is solid truth. The gospel is something that we need to preserve, to cherish, to fight for. The gospel is not something we can mess around with. Too many people are doing that today. I was ashamed yesterday when I heard that pastor from Iran telling us, about the the attitude of Christians in Iran who look at Christians in England in the West and say how liberal, how soft we are. What are we doing? We mess around with the gospel. We compromise. We're weak and pathetic. That should not be like that. We need to exhort one another to hold on to this truth. And also, let's consider how we may spur one another on, not just to stand still in the Christian life, not to be static, but to go on and on and on and continue following after him with our whole hearts. We need each other. We cannot do it alone. We need to be bonded together every week, meeting for each other, praying for each other, sharing with each other, sharing our lives together, going through experiences together. We cannot afford to fall away. Yes, there are are reasons why we can't always be in church every week. Yes, it may be difficult to commit. But friends, if our heart is turning away from that, we don't want to be there. We must repent of that. We must come back to him and say, Lord, give me a concern for your people. And help me to put myself in a particular body, whether it's Calvary Church or a different church, wherever it might be. Let me align myself with these people and say, these are my people. These are my family. They're dear to me. They're like my own family, my flesh and blood, united by Christ. I cannot turn away from them. I cannot withdraw from them. 
Encourage each other with testimonies of God's faithfulness. Keep an eye out for each other. Serve each other. Care for each other. Reach out to the lost. Friends, if we put nothing into church, into our involvement in church, we cannot expect to get anything out of it. If we're just you know, half-hearted and lazy, we, we don't really care, we will get nothing from it at all. I, think in, I don't, don't like mentioning names of Adam and Rachel, two very dear people who were with us for many months. They modelled for me an example of how people should be involved in the church. They were busy. They were, they were junior doctors, trainee doctors. They were so busy. I couldn't cope with them, the, you know, the, the workload they had. I admire them. I thank God for them. that They threw themselves into the life of this church. And I believe that they were blessed by being part of us. And we were certainly blessed by their presence with us. The day of Christ is at hand. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. If you've got any questions, I'll, I'll be happy to speak about it afterwards. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, um, I've spoken a lot this morning, uh, as is my habit, but I do thank you for your word. And Lord, I do pray that you will enable us to separate the wheat from the chaff. I pray, Lord, if there's anything here which is of you, which is of worth, that you will impress that upon our hearts. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be committed to a local church. Lord, there are many reasons why we should be in a church, Lord, but particularly for the reason of encouragement, encouraging one another, being together. Help us, Lord, to grasp the importance of that. And help us, Lord, to put that into practice in our behavior, in our lives, Lord, in our very presence, by being committed to church, by being there. We're encouraging others, Lord. And pray you'll be glorified, Lord. You'll build your church in this place and in other churches as well, Lord, gospel churches, that we'll see people come to know you. We'll see a living and thriving community of the people of God. Lord, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. I've got a nice rousing song to finish with. Oh, church arise. I'll be on the overhead, sir. So.